It's always a great opportunity to, to open God's Word together. And so I was thinking about what to share. I'd been um, studying in this certain passage that we're going to look at this morning, and I got to thinking about all the biographies, the autobiographies that I've read throughout my life. George Mueller, who ran an orphanage totally by faith. Billy Sunday, an evangelist who started his sermons by sliding into the pulpit like he was in a baseball game. Hudson Taylor, who pioneered reaching China with a gospel message. And one that stands out for me was the story of Corey Ten Boom, who survived the Holocaust of World War II, and her story shared in a well-known book called The Hiding Place, and also another book that was written about her called The Joy-Filled Life. And I wanted to read a few things from that book about her that just remind us of what all she went through and survived with the Lord's help. In December of 1944, after 10 months of incarceration and concentration camps, Corrie Ten Boom was free. She had lost her father and beloved sister to the horrors of Nazi death camps. She said, every time I saw the smoke pouring from the hideous smokestacks, I knew it was the last remains of some poor woman who had been with me in Ravensbrück. Often I ask myself, when will it be my time to be killed or die? The school of life offers some difficult courses, but it is the difficult class that one learns the most, especially when your teacher is the Lord Jesus Christ. The hardest lessons for me were in a cell with four walls. The cell in the prison at Schweinsteigen was six paces in length, two paces in breadth, with a door that could be opened only from the outside. After that time in prison, the entire world became my classroom. And then she goes on and shares more and more of what went on. We have the Holocaust Museum in St. Petersburg. I don't know if anybody else has been there, but we've been there. It has replicas of the that time of history with all the horrors of concentration camps where Jews were put in gas chambers and put to death. But near the end of her life, Corey shared, I've learned through time not to hang on to things too tightly because it hurts when God has to pry my fingers loose. As we live each day on this earth, it's a temptation to hang on to things too tightly. And what would those things be? Anybody have an idea? What do we tend to hang on to in life too tightly? Money? Things like homes? Vehicles, control, possessions, many numbers like that. But what about the 4K TV that they push? Or the latest iPhone? You know, every six months get a new one. House with all the latest gadgets or the new thing now, they're pushing the electric car. Yeah, I've got to have one of those. Well, how can we tell if we're hanging on to things too tightly? 
We're going to look at Luke 18 this morning. And it shares a story that uncovers three warning signs that tell us we're hanging on too tightly. Luke chapter 18. And these warning signs are important to notice, like that temperature gauge reading hot in the warm Florida heat, or that stretch of road that tells us construction zone and flashing yellow lights relay to us, slow down. So join me beginning at Luke 18, beginning of verse 18. And here we find three warning signs that tell us we're hanging on too tightly. Hanging on to things too tightly. Luke 18, beginning at verse 18. A ruler questioned him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these things I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. When he had heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God, for it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. They who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, The things that are impossible with people are possible with God. Let's uh, bow for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Teach us this morning through your word that if we're hanging on to things too tightly, Lord, guide us what to do. If the warning signs are there, Lord, that we've got our focus on things and not on you, Lord, wake us up. Because today could be our last day on this earth and we want to be living it for you. We want to be honoring you with all that we do, that others would see Christ, would see you in us. Lord, just uh, teach us through your Holy Spirit and apply your word to each of our lives this morning. We thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the first warning sign is shared in verses 18 to 21. And that first warning sign is a false sense of pride. A false sense of pride. As we look back at these first few verses of our text this morning, it says a ruler questioned him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said... All these things I have kept from my youth. Wow. That's an amazing statement, isn't it? Romans 3.20 says, Therefore by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. This young ruler had not kept the law, but he's claiming to here. That's pride. 
False pride is that pride that we look at ourselves as equal or greater than God Almighty. Like Lucifer who fell and became Satan, according to Isaiah 14, 12 to 14. Pride is defined as a conceited sense of one's superiority. God's word gives this warning in Proverbs 6.16. These things the Lord hates, yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look is first. And then it goes on and lists the other. Paul the great apostle struggled with pride. In 2 Corinthians 12, remember that struggle he had. He had a thorn in the flesh and God gave him that thorn in the flesh. Why? So he wouldn't be too prideful. And then he said, I rejoice I have this because it keeps me focused on who? On God and not on other things that can get in the way. And I love the story of Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 4. He had that false sense of pride. He was looking over everything he had in Babylon. He said, look at what I've done. And God said, okay. You're going to the back 40. And you're going to learn who gave you the position you were in. And did he learn it? Finally at the end, after he had got matted hair, he looked, I don't know, probably didn't look like a cow, but when you'd say, okay, where's the king? Oh, he's back in the back 40. Uh, You'll have to excuse him. And I believe Daniel then was probably pretty well running the country. And Daniel was the one God had placed Nebuchadnezzar's life to be a witness to him that God put Nebuchadnezzar in that place of position that wasn't his own doing. We have a warning in Matthew seven thirteen: Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate. Broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate. Difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. This young ruler, rich young ruler, wanted a set of rules. He wanted a checklist he could have and say, I'm going to check all these off, and then he could say, well, I've done all this. I, I've kept the law. I've kept all of these commandments that were given. I've got it made. I'm kind of puffed up here. I'm proud of me. We reread verse 21 where it says, All these things I have kept from my youth. That's an arrogant statement. That's a prideful statement. We're all sinners saved by grace. None of us are perfect. Even when we're saved, we stumble, but our sins have been forgiven through Jesus Christ. We see this self-attitude pride all around us, don't we? You ever see it when you're watching sports? I'm not just picking on, but when, when somebody scores in a football game, you kind of wonder what's going to be the show there when they get to the end zone. And sometimes they have five or six around them and they'll put on a little show and do these dances or whatever they call them at that time to celebrate. Nothing wrong with it, but that's a sense of pride, isn't it? Look at what I've done. Look at me. I'm on TV. And I've scored a touchdown. Or the puck goes in the net during a hockey game. 
Don't see so much the celebration, but you see some of that. The pride of what they've just accomplished. Where else do we see that? That pride that, not just in sports, where else do we see it? Commercials. Yeah, commercials, uh, driving, making sure to see what the, the car brand is or see what kind of car a person has and strutting around with that. Any, any other? Government. Government? And how do we ever see that? Once on a rare occasion, we might see that happen. Well, here's a few thoughts on pride that I ran across this week. And this was uh, written by Dudley Dennison. And I thought this was very good to get us to thinking about the wrong kind of pride. Sometimes when you're feeling important, sometime when your ego's way up, sometime when you take it for granted that you are the prize-winning pup. Sometime when you feel that your absence would leave an unfillable hole, just follow these simple instructions and see how it humbles your soul. Take a bucket and fill it with water. Put your hand in it up to your wrist. Now pull it out fast and the hole that remains is the measure of how you'll be missed. (laughs) You may splash all you please as you enter and stir up the water galore, but stop and you'll find in a minute it's back where it was before. That's kind of humbling, isn't it? Don't leave it. There's no mark there left. Thank you, Dudley. Self-pride without God pushes God away. The world says man is number one. But we can't push away God forever as there's another parable a few chapters back in Luke 12. Let's look back and see what that one shares. Luke 12, beginning of verse 16. We read the following. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. That man thought he had such a great crop, he was going to build bigger barns to store it all, and he'd have plenty for years to come. But that very night, he died. And his soul wasn't with God, but it went to hell. Can't push away God forever. We are nothing without Jesus, but unstoppable with Him. Philippians 4.13, what does it say? I can do some things. All things through who? Through Christ who 
strengthens us. Do we need God's strength? Do we need to lean on Him oh, a couple times a week? Sometimes minute to minute, don't we? And God will never fall over. He is always our source of strength. Inmate Derek put it this way when he wrote this, A Change of Heart. He's serving time in Huntington, Pennsylvania. Along life's sinful path of darkness is where I treaded. Straight for the lake of fire is where I was headed. I hadn't a clue nor the slightest notion that my final destination was that fiery ocean. Then I heard that still small voice calling my name. I love you, my son, and I'll save you from that flame. I fell down to my knees to kiss his blessed feet. As in my heart I longed my Savior to meet. He reconciled me to himself. My life he did change. Now my old ways of living to me seem strange. I no longer desire the lures of this realm. Instead, I've given Jesus control of my helm. Every morning, to avoid the pride, the self-pride that leaves God out, we need to say, Lord, use me today. If this is my last day on earth, may it be a day that is fruitful for you, one that honors your name, one that brings glory to you, that maybe another life would come to you. The second warning that we see here that we're hanging on to things too tightly is revealed beginning at verse 25 through 27. And that is a false sense of security. A false sense of security beginning at verse 25. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. They who heard it said, then who can be saved? And he said, the things that are impossible with people are possible with God. A false sense of security. Things can give us a false sense of security. Things like money, power, prestige. But in the long run, they don't give us the security that we need in life. Sam Walton, founder of the Walmart company, shared the greatest blessing of having money is the joy of giving it away. Our only real sense of security is God. And I'm always reminded of that song, the old hymn, Because He Lives. God sent His Son, they called Him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. Because He lives, I can face tomorrow. Because He lives, all fear is gone. Because I know He holds a future and life is worth the living just because He lives. He's our reason to get up in the morning. Salvation is totally from God. It's all from Him. Inmate Michael White shares this, where we need to place our eyes each and every day, as he wrote this, from prison in Shreveport, Louisiana. These eyes have seen the worst of life and a little of the best. I'll always be who I am. 
These eyes have seen gang wars that ended with people dying in the street. For what reason we'd taken another man's life? These eyes have seen broken homes and shattered dreams due to habitual drug use. Mom or dad getting high is not an excuse. These eyes have seen prison cells from the inside looking out, vowing never to return, but always ending up back in jail somehow. These eyes have seen relationships broken with our children, which we brought into this world. There is no greater joy than to have a baby boy or girl. These eyes have seen the world, the high and low, the good, the bad. These eyes have seen the work of Satan. But through it all, these eyes have seen the grace of God. His mercy and His unconditional love and power, God will make the way if I keep these eyes on God above. No matter how much these eyes have seen, someone somewhere has seen more. So keeping these eyes on Jesus is the only way to get into heaven. My eyes are on God Almighty. A challenge for us. And he was writing that behind bars. While living in Nebraska, we happened to be in town when seven tornadoes hit Grand Island. For two hours, tornadoes touched up and down over that city. And for the next week, I had the opportunity to help Salvation Army with the cleanup. More than one resident said something similar to this. Our things are gone, but we can rebuild. But my family is safe, and you can't replace people. We've been wiped out of things. Family, people are what's important. What are some things that people put their security in as we rub shoulders as we walk in this world. What what do we put our security in? Anything? Money? Collectibles? Anybody collect things? I don't even have to raise your hand, but we collect things. Uh, I used to collect baseball cards. They're not worth much, but they were at that time. I remember trading those with friends and all that over the years, but what about retirements? Say, well, I'm going to have this stored. I'll be fine for the next 20, 30 years. Do we know we're going to be around the next 20 or 30 years? When we see a brother or sister struggling and God prompts our heart, do we respond to that? Or we say, well, somebody else can do that. There's a lot of things we put our security in, but our security in our future is with who? God alone, our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Our third warning sign is uncovered beginning of verse 26. And that is a false sense of salvation. A false sense of salvation. Verse 26. They who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, The things that are impossible with people are possible with God. Salvation is amazing, isn't it? God chose us, God drew us, God saved us, God keeps us, and we'll be with Him forever. It's totally from God, salvation from start to finish. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 remind us we didn't do anything 
to earn it or deserve it, but we receive it. The only way of salvation is shared by Jesus in John 14.6. Jesus says, I am one of the ways. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but through me, period. This rich young ruler had his salvation in what he owned and possessed, not in a personal relationship with Jesus. Salvation is provided by God, through God, and in God. While serving as a chaplain in the army, I had soldiers during deployments in Bosnia, Panama, the L.A. riots, questioning their relationships with God. And you know why? Because when they walked out, they were questioning that because they could be killed at any time. During those deployments, some soldiers found they hadn't put their trust in God alone for their salvation, but in works of some sort. And praise God, some put their trust and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing can ever match what Jesus did on the cross. And I know for me, especially during the L.A. riots, I remember walking in Watts with the commander, and they said, you know, you need to always have soldiers with you to protect you. And I remember my commander said, well, I've got the chaplain here with me. And I thought, oh, don't be, don't be looking at me here. You know, that's, and, uh, but do a lot of extra praying. You do a lot of extra searching where you're at that if something would happen to you there that you'd know where you'd be. And that's that relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can take away the fears. He's the only one who can take away those things every day that we dread. But God is on the throne today. He is on the throne this morning. I'm sharing a lot of what some of these various inmates have shared. And this was one that was from years ago that I was given that his name, he's serving time, A.J. Fuentes. He's in Blythe, California, serving a life sentence. Here's what he said. When I first came to jail in January, and this was years ago, I knew nothing about the Lord while I was walking in the world. I was living a corrupt life, not pleasing to God. I had no future or morals God has blessed me with a loving little family, but I turned around and threw it back at him. I didn't care about anyone but myself. I wasn't obedient to my parents, even though they were always there when I needed them. I was immature with a lot of selfish ambitions. I took everything I had for granted, and now that it's gone, I see the worth of it all. I'm 19 years old, and I believe I've I'm now a respectful and sincere person. I accepted Christ into my heart and life. Since I've become a child of God, He has mended my heart and is changing me by the power of His Holy Spirit. He is working in my life and making me the new creation He says I am. God says all things have passed away and that all things are new. I believe God is transforming me and blessing me with more and more of His attributes. I can't change the past and how I was, 
but God can change me and restore all that I had lost. As for now, I will continue to follow his example of righteousness. I wanted to share this with all of you to encourage you. God can do a miracle by trusting in Jesus. A change will occur. I guarantee it. God bless all of you. That's what it is, trusting in Jesus. We sing a song at Lakeside, cling to Jesus, but he clings to us. And we are pushing him away. He's got a hold of us as his children, and he'll never let go. Our world led by Satan points people to anything but the real answer, to things, not that relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Our real answer is Jesus. I'd like everyone to bow their heads for just a few moments. And I just want to share a few moments where our heads are bowed. Do any of us see any of these warning signs applying to us today? Anything that we're hanging on to too tightly, that's not Jesus. Has anything or anyone replaced God as number one in our lives? God knows our hearts right now, and if we need to make any changes, please do it. I beseech you, I exhort you, please do it now. Today could be our last day on earth, our last opportunity to live for Him. As our heads are bowed and eyes closed, anyone need prayer this week? I don't need to know what it is God does. But as a brother in Christ, I would be glad to pray for you. Anyone just slip your hand up and down and I'll pray for you this week. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Heavenly Father, thank you for this example to look at our own lives and make sure we're not hanging on to things too tightly, but that we lean heavy on you, Lord. Thank you again for saving us. Thank you, Jesus, for dying upon the cross for us. Thank you for your Holy Spirit to help us every day to get up and to strive with your help only to display to the world around us that our only hope is in you. Be with us this coming week, Lord, especially be with Joe. Be with his family. As he has that funeral tomorrow, Lord, give him strength. Be with each one here, Lord. And again, thank you for saving us. Thank you for not turning away from the cross. Thankful for saving our souls. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.